Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. We're in John chapter 1 tonight, and uh, we just finished last time. Uh, we ended up at verse 18, and we looked at with the statement where um, Jesus has come, and he explained the Father. Do you remember what we said last time that... Um, uh, in these statements here that no one has seen the Father and we went back to Exodus where you cannot see God and live. Remember those statements? And, and you can't. You cannot see God and live. And so we come here to John 1 and end up at verse 18 and we find that Jesus explains the Father. Jesus said later on, if you've seen me, you've seen the, the Father. It's a, and it's true. We couldn't see God before, but now the God-man comes to planet Earth and he shows us what God the Father is like. And rightly so, because if you just think about what was going on on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, they were really um, giving a false image of who God was. I mean, they're saying God was this and this and this, and they're ripping the people off left and right. But Jesus comes and starts cleaning things up and start to explain to everybody what God the Father really looked like, what he was really, not look like, but what he really was all about. Now, some of you have been here at church a long time, some of you haven't, but about 13, 14 years ago, thinking on the statement, if you see me, you've seen the Father, um, I used to always like to dress up for trunk or treat. Anybody remember me dressing up for any of those things? And I always liked that. And so um, one year, my daughter Vanessa dressed up as a mailman, and she had a mustache on. I don't remember that. But I dressed up. She got me dressed up. I dressed up as a woman. Anybody remember that one? Okay, I just I, I had this, and she put makeup on me and had a wig on, and uh, it was scary. Okay really scary and I would walk around and people would look at me like and uh, I would and I, I told everybody this and uh, I was and I used an accent I said I go my 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 name is Katina I, I am a Russian model in my country I'm very beautiful and I would just say that okay? and that's what I would say all the time but it was truly scary all right I, I was not a good-looking woman at all but but Vanessa who you see on stage, she's starting to sing again. She's got two little babies now. That's why you don't see her as much on stage, but she's coming back to sing, my daughter. Um, but she, as a mailman, wore that mustache, and I'm not, I'm not kidding. When I looked at her, I felt like I was looking at myself. <laughs> it was incredible. I mean, I even remember at, um, when I performed their wedding, Peter and Vanessa's wedding, I remember, because, I, you know, I, I like, I'm, I'm a jokester, and I said the only reason Peter's marrying her, because if you put a goatee on her, she, he thinks she's, you think you're marrying me, Peter, and so secretly you're in love with me, and that's what I said that day, because uh, the whole thing is, if you've seen, <laughs> yes, Liz, that's what I said, okay, um, so if you've seen Vanessa, you've seen the father, because <laughs> that was a long way around, wasn't it? But I got, Benita, you don't have to cover your face. You've been with me very long, and still you do not believe. No, I'm joking. But, so if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So now we move to John the Baptist. We get to pick up with his story now. Now, the account of John the Baptist in John chapter 1 is very different than what we find in other Gospels, and rightly so. And by the way, there's not four Gospels. There's one Gospel with four different views on it, four different perspectives. If you and I, four of us, write in the Gospel of what's going on, we'd all have our different slant on things, and it gives us a full picture of what's going on. Now, no mention of the camel hair wardrobe, no mention of eating locusts, no mention of the cool leather belt that he wears, 
No mention of the preaching of repentance at all. What John the Baptist's main focus here that we find really coming out of him is when he makes a statement in this chapter, we get there, we find that he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so now we see John coming into play, and this will be his, his primary message in John's gospel right here. So let's pick it up in verse 19. And believe it or not, I'm going to try to travel to, thir- to, to, to verse 32. How many think I can make it? Oh, wow, a lot of faithful people here. I feel. <laughs> verse 19, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now, very quickly, in Jesus' day, at that time, very few priests were Pharisees. They kind of, they didn't get along. But you find out later, look quickly at verse 24, early on, you see that now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So we know the priests came from the Pharisees, but not many priests became Pharisees. They really weren't that getting along that well. So what's interesting is, now you have a group of people that aren't getting along well, but now they get along well because they have a common enemy, and that's Jesus. And you find this just in, in human nature. You, you join forces when you have a common enemy. Now, what's interesting about John the Baptist, if you want to jot this down, Luke chapter 1, verse 80, I'm not going to turn there, that John, uh, John the Baptist, he grew up um, in, in deserts, until his public appearance. And it tells us he grew strong and he was in these deserts until his public appearance. And all of a sudden, John, from the deserts, bursts on the scene. He's baptizing people out of the Jordan River. He's very similar, and we'll see this later, there's similarities to him, to Elijah. Because Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, you never read anything about Elijah in the first 16 chapters of 1 Kings, and all of a sudden, boom, Elijah comes on the scene. Now, we know John the Baptist from Luke 1.80 says he grew strong, talks about his growing up years, and all of a sudden he bursts on the scene. We know of Elijah, though he bursts on the scene in 1 Kings 17. Later on, when he's going through his trouble, he makes a statement about his life growing up. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord from my youth up. So now we find that Elijah was very zealous for God all his life. We find John the Baptist... He was growing strong in the desert, and they both burst on the public scene, which tells us there's a lot of background and growing up to do before we ever burst on the scene. There are no overnight success. Any amen on that one right there? It takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of grind. It takes a lot of time to finally burst on the scene, and you say, oh, you're a success. Yeah, but you don't know what I went through to get there. It takes a lot to get to where you're at in life. Now, verse 20. It says, And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, they asked him, remember, at the end of verse 19, they said, Who are you? Does he tell them who he is or who he's not? He tells them who he's not. He says, Well, I'm not the Christ, and Christ meaning anointed or anointed one, you know, meaning I'm not the Messiah that you're looking for to come. Now, The answer he gives, I'm not the Christ, makes perfect sense because they're under Roman oppression and they've been, they're all been looking for a Messiah. When's the Messiah going to come? When's the Messiah going to get here? So it makes perfect sense. He says, well, I'm, I'm not the Messiah. Now, here's, I think, a bigger issue within the question when they ask, who are you? They don't know. And they don't know because he's not a priest, he's not a Levite, he's not a rabbi, he's not a Pharisee, he's not a Sadducee, he's none of those things whatsoever. In other words, we don't remember you in any of our religious training schools, 
We don't remember you part of our, you know, religious leadership club. You didn't come up through our ranks. In other words, John the Baptist has no credentials whatsoever in their mind. When they say, who are you? In other words, what are you doing? You have no authority to do the very thing that you're doing. Except you and I know, because we read in reverse, look at John chapter 1, verse 6. We know he has a credential, and the credential is this. There came a man sent from, sent from God, uh, whose name was John. So what's John's credential? He's sent from who? He's sent from God. He didn't need no earthly credentials whatsoever. But he's being attacked. Jesus, when he comes shortly on the scene, he will be attacked the same way. Do you remember when they came up to Jesus numerous times? But one in particular, they come up and they say, by what authority do you do these things? Do you remember when they asked him that question? And they asked him that because he didn't grow up in their club. He didn't go to their schools. He didn't go to rabbi school, Levite school, Sadducee school, Pharisee school, nothing. He's not part of their system. Neither was John. And if you think about it, God was sending two people outside of the system to come and bring the right change and to reach people for God. Amen? Now, some of you know this from a business perspective, that when you've been in a business so long, people from the outside need to come and look at that business because once you're inside it for a long time, you don't see what needs to change, right? Because you've been part of the system for so long. But you have outside eyes coming in to take a look at those things. And that becomes a very important thing that maybe you want to listen to. Well, these are outside eyes coming in John the Baptist and Jesus, not part of the system. God brings these both, sent from God, Jesus being the God-man. Look at verse 21. And it says, they asked him, what then are you, because he says, well, I'm, I'm not the Christ. He says, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. They said, are you the prophet? And he answered, uh, no. Now, they keep probing. They're asking more and more questions. And guys, they're not just throwing names out there like, well, are, are you Elijah? Are you Elvis? And they're just not doing this stuff like that, okay? They're actually asking specific questions because there are, there's reasons behind the names that they're throwing out there. And let me show you what they mean by that. First, they say, are you Elijah? Why in the world will they ask that question? Well, you know, always keeping your marker here. Look at the last book of the Old Testament. Go to your left a little bit. And look at Malachi chapter 4. This is why they ask the question. We're going to do about one, two, three sections of verses to show why they're asking the question of Elijah. Look at Malachi 4. When you're there, say, I'm there. Now look at verses 5 and 6. And it says this. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Stop right there. Is that a very important thing, reconciliation in families? We have so many grown-up men these days, I'll pick on men, that are so angry these days. There's no joy in their life because of terrible relationships with dad or dad wasn't there. And we have a big epidemic in our country because of that. He came to reconcile and bring families back together so that I will not come and smite the land with a... Curse. So what does Malachi, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, say? He says, look, Elijah the prophet, I'm sending him back. He's coming back. So now you begin to see why they would ask John the Baptist, are you Elijah? But it doesn't stop there. Let's get definition to the statement now. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Now watch this. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke. 
in Luke chapter 1. And this is uh, the John the Baptist story here. Um, Zacharias, uh, dialogue in there, the angel is going to have his son, Elizabeth is going to bear you a child. And he makes, among other statements, this is the statement I want to drill down on. Look at verse 16, 17, about, about John the Baptist, who's in his mother's womb, verse 15. It says, he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him, before Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, okay, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for, um, prepared for the Lord. So now we find that John the Baptist comes in the spirit and power of Elijah, not reincarnated as from Elijah, but spirit and power, same type of ministry. Jesus gives definition. The definition is important because now watch, turn to your left, look at Matthew chapter 11. Now watch this one in Matthew 11. In Matthew 11 and verse 14, it says, <clears throat> Jesus speaking, um, and if you are willing to accept it, John himself is, say it, is Elijah who was to come. Now, here's a, here's a very important thing you do. This is why people get so raw off in Scripture. If you just read that verse and only that verse, what would you think that John the Baptist is? He's Elijah reincarnated. That's what you would think, right? So you, one of your rules of interpretation in Scripture is let the Bible... Interpret the Bible. Always do that. Because if you don't, then like a cult will do, they'll pull a verse out, they'll build a whole false uh, ideology up that, false religion, and they go with that. But they never let the Bible interpret the Bible. By letting the Bible interpret the Bible, we found in Luke that um, John the Baptist is not Elijah, but he has the same spirit and type power of Elijah, which makes sense because if you know in Revelation... In the great seven-year tribulation, which I believe one of the two witnesses coming back to earth, one of them will be Elijah, because that person calls fire down from heaven. So you see these, kind of, these two characters are kind of fulfilling the same type of ministry and power together. Now, in John, he says, they ask, are you Elijah? No. And then they ask what? Are you the prophet? Not a prophet, but the prophet. That's a very important thing because, you know, John is the last prophet to come in here uh, from the Old Testament in a sense. So, is he, are you the prophet? Now turn to Deuteronomy, way to your left, way to your left, because this will speak to that very question. This is why they ask the question. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy chapter 18, I'll give you a few seconds to get there. This is why they ask the question. Now look at verse 15. And it says this, For the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. The prophet is Jesus to come. It's the Messiah to come. And like me, the me is Moses. Because Moses is speaking to the people. From among you and from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. So, because we know this prophetic statement of Moses was made and written down, we know now, flashing forward back to John 1, you can come back there now, we know that when they ask, are you the prophet, not a prophet, but the prophet, 
They're asking about that right there. Are you this one to come? Are you the Messiah to come? That's what they're repeating again. And John's answer is, no, I, I'm not, I'm not. Now, back to John chapter 1. Look at verse 22 and 23. It says, then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, Isaiah the prophet said. <clears throat> now, now we find out, or now they share with John why they're here. We got to report back. We, we've been sent by people, and we got to report back who you are. Now, you sense like they're getting a little bit impatient, and maybe they are. But John's answer, if you really watch his answer when he says, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness, he doesn't answer who he is. He gives him his purpose. He didn't say, well, you know, in the future, they're going to know me as John the Baptist. He didn't say, he says, but I'm going to tell my prayer. I'm, I'm a voice. Now hold the thought right there because I want to share one thing in there. He quotes Isaiah. And he says, like Isaiah, I came to make straight the way of the Lord. And the prophecy of Isaiah spoken back in Isaiah was, when Isaiah said it, it was about leveling the mountains and filling the valleys prophetically or metaphorically to create a roadway for those in captivity in Babylon under Cyrus, when he conquers the Babylonians and Persians, when they let 50,000 Jews come back to the, to the homeland, it was like God was going to make a roadway in the wilderness, metaphorically, so they could leave, as, leave from exile and come into their land, their promised land. Now, John the Baptist is going to use that, and he says, look, I'm the, I'm the forerunner now, and I'm here to lay the road out, because I'm laying the road for the one to come, the Messiah, He's going to, going to take people, not from a physical exile, but from an exile of sin. I mean, he's going to make the way. He will be the way, the truth, and the life. Does that make sense so far? Now, think about this. He answered and says, when they ask him, who are you? He says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, right? If Jesus is the word, doesn't it make sense that John is a voice? If Jesus is the word, doesn't it make sense that you and I are a voice of that word? And isn't it through words that everything, through speech acts, that everything was created in Genesis? That word, and, and God said, and God said, the word, it ties perfectly, and you and I are the voice. And doesn't it make sense? Because we know that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That words that we share are very important. And this word of God that's been given to us, that we are the voice of God on planet Earth right now. I just like that. I like that he says that. Now, one more big question. Think about this. John is doing this out in the desert. Why isn't he in Jerusalem on the temple crying out there? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, that's where the whole religious activity is going on. Why is he out there by the Jordan River, way out there? You've been there, you know, he's out there. Why isn't he up there at 4,000 feet in Jerusalem at the temple? Well, the reason is very simple. Because God was no longer in the temple. God was, he wasn't there anymore. That temple was just a bunch of religious thieves manipulating and ripping the people off. And they were painting a picture of God the Father that was so incorrect. Have you ever thought about this? In, um, in uh, yeah, Matthew 12, 6, to get it right. In Matthew 12, 6, Jesus says something greater 
then the temple is here. Speaking of himself. Now think of what Jesus said when he did that. And when later on he says, not one stone shall be left upon another. But something greater than the temple is here. Jesus, when he comes, speaking about earlier, moving it from stone tablets to our heart. So he moves the temple, because the temple was dead, from a physical location, from a place to a person. You and I now are the temple of the living God, are we not? It's no longer a place, it is now a person. He moves that. So John is not in the temple crying out there because the temple was dead. God wasn't there anymore. And God was going to move it, you know, from a, a place to a person. But if you think about this, once again, the outsider, John, is outside the religious system of the day and he's preaching in a desert because a desert is a picture of the spiritual barrenness of the nation of Israel. It's, it's a beautiful picture. It's, I should say, it's a tragic picture of the condition of that time. But he moves it from a place to a person. A person like John who's not corrupted by everything. Now, look at verse 24. He says, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Now the big question. Okay, if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, then why are you baptizing? The real thing they're saying is this, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Because remember, by what authority, remember that? You didn't go to our schools. You're not a rabbi. You're not a religious leader. We don't remember you at all. Who do you think you are? You're out here? Now, I want you to really think of an application in this that kind of bumps me the wrong way uh, a lot. What they're really saying is to John is this. And remember, John's been sent from God, right? He doesn't need their credentials. They're saying, you know, we're the educated ones. We are the degrees. We're the intellectuals. You're a common folk. Who do you think you are out here doing this? Nothing wrong with education. Nothing wrong with degrees. My son has a master's. My son Dylan just enrolled back to get his bachelor's. He wants to go all the way to get a doctorate and be a Bible scholar. Crazy boy, you know. Nothing wrong with that. But some of the mood, not everybody, but some of the mood is the high ups, the intellectuals, they think they know how to run our lives and how to run our, teach our kids better than we know. How could they possibly know that? You know what I'm talking about? They really think they know better. No. See, the Bible tells me how to run my life. And the Bible tells me how to raise my kids. Amen? I don't need somebody else to tell me how to do that. It says it right here how to do that. And their idea of how I run my life and how I raise my kids, it, it does not correspond to what the scriptures say, does it? No, it doesn't, not whatsoever. Now, let me give you a little sidebar. I think I'm going to make all verses here. I think I'm going to make it. Am I going to make it? Okay, I may not make it. <laughs> but... Um, I've had this on my heart for a couple months, and especially with this answer series. Um, it's, these are things that I, I love studying. I love st the first 11 chapters of Genesis are really foundational, and those are the most attacked things these days, the foundations. In fact, Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? And I, I told the staff the other day, I go, you know, 
I, I just really have a strong burden. Young people really need to be able to answer, you know, how do we know there's a God? How do we know Jesus rose from the dead? Why do we look so different? Was there really a global flood? What's the evidence for that? Is evolution true or not? And how do I know what's the evidence? And everything's about evidence, not about cliche speculation. And I told Robert, I said, and, and Robert said, can I talk to you afterwards? I go, yeah. And I said, Robert, here's what I've been thinking. Um, because we need to educate them because they're going to go off to college and they're going to be slammed, told that there's no God. And you know, you know how the story goes, right? I said, I really feel led to do about every 10 weeks to come into the student ministry on Wednesday night and do call it a one-off with Pastor Jim. And I'll take a foundational piece like, is, is there a God? How do I know there's a God? How do I know Jesus rose from the dead? You know, is there evidence for a global flood? Do, these things that they keep attacking and attacking and attacking so that our kids can answer those questions. So they're not caught off guard the moment they go into a, a secular college class and they try to destroy their faith because you know the stats are showing that kids are walking away from God once they get out of church because they're going to these places and they're told these things. So it's a very big burden on my heart um, to, to, be able, to be able to share it. Now, <clears throat> let me get back to this because that was a sidebar. had nothing to do with what we're doing here. Okay. Now, in verse 25, when they said, why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ? Now, I want you to think about this. What type of ethnic people is he baptizing? Jews. Now, they normally would baptize Gentiles who want to become Jews. Right? He's baptizing what? Jewish. So he's... So you're, what? You're, you're doing what? You're, what? They're Jewish people. You're baptizing them like you would be baptized in a Gentile converting to Judaism. So he's treating Jewish people like they're pagans, right? That's wild, isn't it? But that's what he's doing, and they're lining up to get water baptized. They're lining up to repent and come to this. Now, verse 26. John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. Now, he says, yeah, but there's somebody among you you don't even know. Is that a slap in the face? You better believe it is. You're coming here to ask me about water baptism and who I am, but there's a person among you you don't even know. You don't even know what's going on. It's a slap in the face. You're debating over the wrong things. Now, verse 27. And by the way, we can get caught into debating all these things and not even know Jesus Christ personally. We've got to be careful with those things. Now, it is he, verse 27, who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now, when John the Baptist says the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie, it's a... It's an understanding, or back in that day, uh, the rabbis, they used to abuse their disciples by making them do demeaning things. And one rabbi in that season of time said, the most demeaning thing you can do, and therefore don't make them do it, was make your disciple untie your sandals. Don't make them, that's too demeaning. John the Baptist takes that idea, and he says, I'm not even worthy to untie the one who's coming sandals. I'm not even worthy to do that. Now, that's an amazing statement that he makes right there. Now, verse 28. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, John was baptizing in Bethany beyond the Jordan. Now, I got I to gotta share with you this story. Now, last trip to Israel, back in 2019. 
You guys couldn't hear me, but I was debating with that, with our guide. Um, our guide was very knowledgeable. And on a, on a trip, you have your Jewish guide, and he tells you all about Israel. I bring the Bible spiritual perspective into it till we get, when we get to the different sites. That's, that's how it works. And he gives you a lot of how the government runs there and stuff. It's very interesting, a lot about the landscape. It's very interesting, very knowledgeable guy. But then he and I got into a disagreement. And uh, we got into a disagreement on the location of Bethany beyond the Jordan. I made my statement about, I was just talking casually about it, and he goes, actually, no, that's not true. And he said, it's actually to the north off Galilee, not to the south. And then I punched him. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, no, it's in the south. He goes, no, 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 it's in the north. Now, if you look at certain maps, you will find a Bethany in the north. You will find it. But there's a Bethany in the south. And so it was really gnawing at me the whole trip after that. And then then he would make statements like, I'm going to show you something you Christians just don't know. I'm going to show you something. And I'm thinking, okay, here it comes. And he would share something. I'm thinking, and Jerry, I think you were walking one time, me, you, and Angel. I said, well, we know that. That's like, that's nothing new. He was talking about before the cock crows. Um, And so he was starting to get on my nerves and stuff. Maybe I'm just getting old and cranky. I don't know, but. But that whole thing about where the baptism took place. And then we leave there, and we go on our three-day trip to Jordan. So he leaves us. We cross that bridge. I don't remember the bridge into Jordan. We get over there, and we're at a, this old, old church. I mean, from, I don't know, 500 years ago, whatever it was. And we're in there, and there's a mosaic on the wall. And Nathan, my son, knew it was eating at me. Because I'm, I'm not the type that can let it go until I... Because I know what I've read, I know what I've studied. It's like, no. And there was this mosaic on the wall. And it showed, this ancient mosaic, it showed that Bethany, where the baptism was taking place, was in the south, off the Jordan. Which I've always thought, what I've always read, what I've always studied. And I said, Nathan, come here. No, I didn't do that. (laughs) I go, Nathan, come here, look at this. I go, see, but that doesn't matter that it was on a mosaic. Here's what really matters. Like, turn to Matthew chapter 3, and, and why, for me, it's very important, the location. And I'll tell you why after I show you this. Now, watch Matthew's, um, his version of John the Baptist's baptism. Now, in those days, John the Baptist, verse 1, chapter 3, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Is that north or south? It's in the south. That's where Jerusalem is, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist, and his food is locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, is that north or south? Say south. I'm not trying to trick you. Then Jerusalem was going out to meet him, and all Judea, north or south? That's south. And all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. And so, I know this is in Scripture. That's in the southern area right there. And we're going back and forth on this whole thing. But I'm thinking, no, it's in the south. It's in the south. But, you know, we never came to terms on that. And even like when we went to the, um, um, to the, uh, 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 
the, the, the palace where John the Baptist was beheaded. Remember that palace? And um, that's, that's off on the other side in the Jordan. It's in Jordan now. On the other side of the Dead Sea in the south, that was the, the, the palace of Herod Antipas, and that's where he was beheaded because that's the area that John the Baptist was doing his stuff. So that's in the Tetrarchs. That's in his vicinity or his governorship right there. So everything's in the south. And so I'm thinking, okay, it's in the south. Now let me tell you why it's very important to me to get it right and why it correlates so beautifully in Scripture, why John the Baptist was baptizing near Bethany and where Jericho is at in the Jordan River in the south in Judea where Jerusalem is but many miles down the hill there. Look at verse, back in John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Okay, here comes Jesus now. The spot where John is baptizing. Down in the south. Down from Jericho. That's the same area where about 1,400 years earlier, Joshua led the Israelites to cross. It's the same area. Because the first city they take is Jericho. They could see Jericho from across the river. That's the same area they cross. And as we now know, Joshua's name, Hebrew, Yeshua, it's the same word, we get transliteration Greek, we get Jesus. And as Joshua took them in that area, across that area in the south, into the promised land, that's what Jesus does for us, does he not? And so when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, now we see that, he's, that Jesus, he takes us in a sense like Joshua, across into the promised land, but he transforms our life, not in a physical, earthly promised land per se, but he's transforming us to put, and we have faith in him, and he takes away all our sins, and we have an eternal destination. Amen? Now, think about this. Have you ever thought this? Because I, I think about these things periodically. Have you ever thought of what your life would be like without Christ? No, have you really thought about that? How many bad decisions? How many broken relationships? How many divorces? You ever thought about that? How, how many things that, that, that we got ourselves into, addictions, everything else? Have you ever thought, what would my life have been like without Jesus Christ? It would not have been good. I often think about this one. No offense to anybody here, but I always think, I wish I knew how much money, the moment I got saved now, 42 years later, how much money I've saved not spending money on alcohol for 42 years. I, be, I bet you that's a pretty penny. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Of course I am, but anyway. But, but some of us here, you think, well, Jim, I wasted decades. I came to Christ so late. I, you know, it, no, it's not too late. It's never too late. Watch. Turn to Joel chapter 2. Turn to your Old Testament, Joel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Now watch what Joel says. Because he came to take away the sins of the world. He came as our redeemer, Romans chapter 3 says. But watch what he does as a redeemer. As he takes us into our promised land. Look at Joel chapter 2 verse 25 to 27. He says, Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten. 
the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust. My great army, which I sent among you. You shall have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other and my people will never be put to shame. Now this is the context of repentance and complete restoration of our lives. And what he's saying is this, and it's a promise to any of us. When we repent, come to Christ, can Christ bring a lot of the things that we lost in our life back? Yes, he does. So it's never too late. It's never too late to come to Christ. He can redeem us to new life. Now, back to John chapter 1, and look at verse 30 as we drive this home. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who is higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Now John once again points out that Jesus existed before him. Question, physically, who's older? John, you remember how much older John is than Jesus? He's six months. But John says, he existed before me. So John now takes you back to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the preexistence of Jesus Christ. He's reaffirming that, therefore he's reaffirming the deity of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 31. I did not recognize him. But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. Okay. John says, when he showed up, when Jesus showed up, I didn't recognize him. And Ben, we talked about this last week right around. There's the three of you right there. We're talking, I think Tim, you were up, we were talking about this. And the question was asked, they go, how could John not recognize him? Because question, are John and Jesus physically related? They're cousins. They're cousins. Josephus, I think, even writes, the historian says they looked a lot alike. Um, but John says, I didn't recognize him. But they played together as kids. They knew each other. How could he not recognize him? What does that mean? How, could you, how do you mean you don't recognize him? And the answer is very simple. I didn't recognize his true identity. I didn't know my cousin Jesus. I thought he was Clark Kent, but he's really Superman. I didn't know. And then when he walks up and everything that happened there, then I go, oh my gosh, my cousin, he's the Messiah. This is him. I didn't know he was until that moment is all it's saying right there. Now, watch this. Verse 32, it's our last verse for the night. And, and next week, I'm going to only cover um, two verses because I'm going to talk about the baptism and the Holy Spirit. And I need a whole 45 minutes to cover that topic right there. It says, John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him. Here's how John says, here's how I knew that he was the Messiah. You put all the Gospels together. I baptize him. When he comes out of the water and the water is receding off his body, off Jesus' body, then the Spirit, like a dove, comes down upon him. And God the Father says, speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. At that moment, if you're Jesus' cousin, would you believe Jesus is the Messiah? Yes. 
I think I would too. Now, here's the last picture. Put it all together. Jesus goes in the water, comes up out of the water, the water is receding from his body, the spirit comes upon him like a dove, right? Noah goes into the ark, rains 40 days, 40 nights, they're in the ark for about a year, finally the water starts to recede, they send out a dove, remember that? Dove comes back with an olive branch. And finally, on April 17th, they step out of the ark to a brand new life. The same picture we see of Jesus. He goes into the water, comes out, water recedes, spirit like a dove lands upon him, and here he comes, the Lamb of God, to bring us new life. Correct? Same picture as, as Noah. Now, here's the deal. Here's one of the cool things about it. <clears throat> Well, turn there. I I think it's in here. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. You're not coming back. We're done now. Matthew 11. To your left. It's a complete picture of the ark. Jesus coming out of the waters of baptism. Now watch this. Noah in the ark Jesus coming out of the water bath. Verse 28 of Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. One of the things I like to tell myself at verse 30 is that If Christianity becomes this heavy burden, Christianity isn't the problem. It's how I'm viewing Christianity. Because it's not a heavy burden. But notice in verse 28, he says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you what? I'll give you rest. Question. Do you know what Noah's name means? It means rest. So Jesus is saying, Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you Noah. I'll give you rest. And I'll carry you through any storm. And I'll bring you to the land. And the water will recede off you. And you'll walk out into new life. And that's what Jesus brought. He comes out of the water. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the water recedes off him. And God says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the guy right here. He'll take you to your inner peace and your inner rest and inner joy in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, God, that that these things that happened a couple thousand years ago still apply to us today. Let us remember that it makes perfect sense if, Jesus, you're the word, that we are the voice. And that's what we are. We're the voice of God on planet Earth to share the love of God, to share the salvation of God, to share with people the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you could take us. Thank you that you can redeem our life. You can get back everything the locust has eaten, all the mistakes we've made in the past. When we come to you in faith, 
and we start to live according to your word, oh my gosh, you can start to rebuild our life and bring things back. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall be careful to meditate on it day and night and do everything written therein. And then you'll find success, and then you'll make your way prosperous. Thank you, Lord, for that, that you can bring our life all the way back, no matter where we've taken it. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming out. We're done for tonight. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.